Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. A few days ago, uh, my friend Maria Ressa, the very brave uh, Philippines journalist, uh, was convicted in a Manila court uh, and is continuing to fight the increasingly repressive uh, Duterte government. Uh, Maria has been on this show a couple of times, and whenever I've been in conversation with her, she's always cited Facebook as a particularly corrosive channel for lies and state propaganda. Uh, She doesn't only blame Facebook, but for her, uh, Mark Zuckerberg's responsibility for the the plague of online lies is self-evident. Over the last couple of months as the pandemic has grown, uh, the tech community has increasingly become divided, not only over the issue of Facebook, but also over how tech should respond to fake news. Uh, We've talked on the show before about Jack Dorsey's response, Jack Dorsey being the CEO of Twitter, who is increasingly beginning to, if not censor, certainly address some of the lies in Donald Trump's tweets to Facebook's approach, which is very much free speech. Uh, Today, I want to have specifically a conversation, not about all these things, but about Facebook in particular. And who better to talk to than the world's leading expert on Facebook, uh, my old friend David Kirkpatrick, the author of The Facebook Effect, the guy who first saw both the potential for Facebook in terms of democratizing the world, and now is increasingly seeing the the darker side of of the Facebook effect. Uh, David, is Facebook, do you think, particularly responsible for these kinds of cases like the Maria Ressa one in the Philippines? Well, thank you, Andrew, for having me. Um, I guess I would have to say that in the case of Maria Ressa, they are highly responsible. Her case is an unusual one because on the one hand, she is herself quite close to Facebook, the company, and has been to their headquarters multiple times to tell them what's happening to her. Um, and they've expressed sympathy and, 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 and concern for her situation. However, at the same time, she is being actively and viciously targeted by President Duterte of the Philippines, who is sadly something of a master of the evil side of Facebook and has really large numbers of Facebook trolls essentially in his employ. Uh, And Facebook has, at the same time they've been showing sympathy to Maria, has been um, basically enabling Duterte. And they are very loath to get on the wrong side of Duterte because Philippines is an important market for them and he's the head of state. And it's a good example of the schizophrenia that Facebook you know, sort of 
evidences in its corporate behavior. So in the end, the net effect is that Facebook is very responsible for the harassment and to some extent even the criminal conviction of Maria Ressa, which has just happened this week and is so unfair. Um, because they are enabling her tormentor and his uh, minions. That's a that's that's quite a quite an accusation, David. I, I interviewed Maria also for a film uh, that's just coming out. I made about democracy, how to fix democracy. And at one point, uh, we did the interview in New York last year. I said to Maria, uh, Maria, if 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 Zuckerberg's watching this, what would you say to him? And she made it very clear. She said. Uh, to Zuckerberg via my camera, she said, uh, you have to take responsibility for, um, for the content on your platform. You profit from it. You've made billions, tens of billions of dollars from this content. And you have to behave like a traditional media company and begin to censor or control information that's dangerous or illegal or corrosive. Is Maria right on that front? Is the no, problem real? She's not only right, Andrew, she has said that directly to Zuckerberg. She has met with Zuckerberg. She has met with Sheryl Sandberg. She's met with many senior executives of Facebook. She has explained to them what was happening to her. And the thing that makes it all the more damning when it comes to understanding Facebook's role in society is that because Maria is a professional journalist, she's an American and also a Filipino um, and former CNN bureau chief, she speaks a language that Facebook understands. She's been to their headquarters. She started telling them in 2016, before the U.S. election, the degree to which Facebook was being used as a platform for harassment, the covert distribution of hate speech, um, and told them in detail what was happening to her. They expressed sympathy and did absolutely nothing, or did very little at least. So, you know, it, it, it's it's great. She she understands the problem and it's wonderful that she's so eloquent and articulate, but it makes Facebook's culpability all the more horrifying in my mind that Maria has told them what's happening to her. And in effect, they have actively decided not to take action. And again, I think it's because in a case like the Philippines, where it's perhaps one of the world's most dependent countries on Facebook, Facebook is absolutely the primary media in the Philippines, they cannot risk alienating the head of state in a situation like that. And in fact, they are even participating in the installation of a new fiber connection into the Philippines that they are helping finance uh, it, with the cooperation and in cooperation with Duterte's government. So Facebook, in the case of the Philippines, is a very sordid tale. And, and, and Maria's eloquence has basically fallen on deaf ears. And, and she has expressed it. I'm sure she said exactly what she said to you in that film interview to them. And, and they essentially did nothing. That is just unconscionable. But why, 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 why are Zuckerberg and Sandberg even bothering to meet with Maria and, and people like Maria? Is it just for PR reasons or, or in their mind, which in their minds, which perhaps are increasingly deluded, uh, uh, do they still think of themselves as open minded? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, you, it's hard to explain why they have meetings. And, and she's not the only one. They've had 
many, many activists from Myanmar, Sri Lanka, Philippines, and, and plenty of other countries into their headquarters where they've always forced them to sign non-disclosure agreements before they go in. So, you know, they can't really say exactly what they did say to these people. I find that basically uh, unethical also, by the way. But I think it may be partly for their own conscience. They feel like if they if they listen to these people and, and in their mind, they feel like they're doing their best to juggle the competing demands on themselves. And, and, and there is no question they are subject to contradictory demands from governments, human rights activists, journalists, um, for that matter, advertisers. Um, and, and, but, but my, my feeling is when they, when the rubber meets the road at Facebook in particular, almost always the decision they end up making is the commercially expedient one. And that's what's so tragic. And it's partly because they, uh, which you and I have discussed before, Zuckerberg in particular is so convinced of the, ex so the macro virtue of his project, the macro value of Facebook as a connective tissue for the world, a, a means for human society to express itself and to even to facilitate activism. And he's, he sees a lot of the positives and he, he, he overly sees the positives and it allows him to suppress in his own mind the negatives and accept them as the cost of doing business in effect. And, and in a way, he almost, in, in, you could say, ends up looking at Maria Ressa as a you know, sad price to pay that he's willing, you know, sacrificial lamb that he's willing to sacrifice in the interest of a bigger project. It, 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 you, and it, it may be seen as fundamentally immoral, actually. Let's shift over to the United States. My sense, and you can you can talk much more uh, uh, informally about this, but my sense is that Facebook's increasingly becoming the platform for the distribution of conservative pro-Trump views, both legitimate, shall we say, in terms of them being relatively truthful and simply propagandist and dishonest. Is that fair? Is is Facebook increasingly the platform for the right wing? Well, Facebook is the platform for every wing. I mean, F Facebook is the platform for political speech in, in much of the world, including very large part of the dialogue in the United States. But I think what you can say is that Facebook has bent over backward to avoid offending the right and in particular President Trump um, and has made certain policy decisions that particularly um, favor uh, the kinds of speech that is much more likely to come out of uh, the right and, um, and, 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 and the, the Trump campaign. And to be, to be specific, Facebook has a rule that Zuckerberg has defended tenaciously and has implemented himself and has defended publicly repeatedly and it shows no sign of backing off from that politicians in particular are allowed to lie in advertisements that they pay Facebook to distribute. Now, that is a very pernicious policy 
And in the United States and in much of the world, it tends to be the autocrats, the right wing, the, uh, the, 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 the more incendiary, the people who are willing to be incendiary in order to advance their political cause at any cost, who are more likely to lie in their ads. So by definition, in the end, that policy facilitates the right more than the left. Certainly in the United States, there's far fewer examples of conscious lies being distributed by the left, uh, left-wing politicians or, or centrist even politicians. Than, and we know Donald Trump, he, he tends to be a dishonest uh, public speaker. Um, and it, does, it goes beyond that because there's plenty of other very prominent examples of them enabling him to say things that are not necessarily lies and that are not paid. That you know, that's a famous example of the one you indirectly referred to before, where Twitter uh, hid a, a, a tweet that Trump had made about when the looting starts, the shooting starts, uh, behind a message you had to look at before you could see the tweet that said, you know, this is contrary to our policy. And Facebook chose to do nothing. That wasn't even an ad. So there's another. I do believe all of this comes back to the fact that Facebook is concerned about regulation being heavy handed and they are determined to stay on the good side of Trump. You've mentioned Twitter. Is Jack Dorsey doing it right, David? Is he the increasingly becoming the, if not the ethical side of Silicon Valley, the more ethical side when it comes to fighting dishonesty and propaganda? Well, on the one hand, I'd say he is more ethical. Uh, I'm not sure I'd say he is the ethical side, but I certainly applaud his behavior more. I think he's much braver because he was willing in, in that very famous instance and in some other instances to go against the administration and the White House when he felt that the violation of Twitter's policy was egregious enough that it, it called for no less. And exactly in that same scenario, Zuckerberg wimped out and, and chose not to do it. Um, and, and so, yes, I, I, I'm much more impressed by Jack Dorsey's policy approach and uh, determination to take a principled stance when it comes to the nature of speech and social media. Do you think that Zuckerberg is ready for the, sh the shit that is about to come down in November around the election? Can he even imagine the the kinds of disaster scenarios that, 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 that might emerge in November? Well, the disaster scenarios are likely already emerging inside social media in terms of um, all kinds of dishonest and manipulative actors attempting to uh, gain uh, their, their political ends using dishonest, um, uh, misleading, uh, hate-filled uh, speech, etc., um, I, I will, will give Facebook credit that they've done a lot to try to prepare themselves. They're, they've put enormous resources into various kinds of systems to attempt to detect and prevent a, what are basically illegal forms of, of electoral manipulation and, 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 and false speech inside their systems. Do I think they are sufficiently prepared? Absolutely not. What happens in the worst case scenario with Facebook if we see more and more violence on the streets between right and left? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, 
Facebook is, is, is a platform for everyone, like I said before. So, you know, and this is the kind of thing Zuckerberg says to himself, but even the Black Lives Matter movement, which is so in the ascendancy right now, has depended very heavily on Facebook for its promulgation and distribution of messaging and, and recruitment of people and, and letting people know about, about demonstrations and all that. So, you know, this is a tool used by everybody because it's a tool that's more or less viewed by everybody, uh, regardless of their political views. Um, I would say that if we were to have genuine civil unrest, that at scale, which we started to see a little bit of in, in the couple of weeks ago and happily is now tamped down. And, and if it were shown, which is not inconceivable, that messages on Facebook had been incendiary in contributing to that civil unrest, it could change the tenor of the political debate and make the likelihood of very rigorous regulation even greater. Um, I, I think what Facebook, though, has to be careful of uh, at the moment is, as we said before, if they're favoring the Trump and right wing message so much and then Biden wins. And let's say the Democrats even took over the Senate, which is by no means out of the question in the United States. You know, Zuckerberg could have a very heavy price to pay regulatorily after the fact if if he was seen to have been you know, facilitating the other side before. I don't think the Democrats would do it out of vindictiveness. But they would certainly see that, this, that what had happened and they would implement regulatory reform in order to prevent it happening in the future. Um, and I, I'm surprised, frankly, that Zuckerberg has been so consistently pro-Trump in, in, in his de facto positioning, given that Trump seems less and less likely to win in November. Maybe that's why Zuckerberg looks so miserable. You've spent a lot of time, maybe not recently, David, but but in the early days with Zuckerberg. Is he miserable right now? Is he having any fun? He looks he looks as if um he's not enjoying this anymore. He looks severe, pained. Uh is 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 it the evangelical Zuckerberg coming out? Could he just quit and say, I don't want to deal with this anymore, I'm gonna go away and spend all my billions of dollars? No, the last thing he won't do. Absolutely not. Um, is he is he somewhat pained by um, by the desire to uh, of many people to uh, to criticize his company and by his employees' um, attitude? Um, you know, because he's had this huge resistance from employees uh, in in recent times, um, it, where, where for the first time employees are being outspoken and and signing documents and ex employees or the ex-employees wrote a very eloquent letter to him a week and a half or so ago. Uh, I think it pains him that he's being criticized so much from every quarter, even from the right, by the way, despite what I said about what my own opinion, that he's facilitating right-wing rhetoric and, and un, unfair speech coming from those quarters. They still say he's unfair to them and, and don't give him a, an inch. Uh, and, and that's part of the right-wing strategy in general is to continue pressuring no matter what in order to, to keep getting what they want. But um, I don't see him being as pained as you see him being. I see him retreating into a self-righteousness that I, I find very unseemly. But it seems to me he's more or less comfortable because he is so... He, this is the thing about him. His certitude about the virtues of his project is so great 
that it's it's disturbing and it's dangerous. Now, you know, I was just reading this morning, Dipayan Ghosh, who a, was a Facebook uh, policy employee, uh, who's now at the Harvard Shorenstein Center, has a book that's just coming out this week that basically talks about these systems are fundamentally monopolies that are harmful to society. And he, you know, I tend to continue to vacillate as to whether the net impact of Facebook and some of the other platforms are positive or negative. I think most of them are positive. Facebook, even Facebook, I have generally felt net was probably positive force in society. But Gosha's new book basically says, no, the, the, the monopoly behavior of these companies, net and Facebook in particular, is negative for society, harmful, that, that, that it has to be reined in or else massive harm will continue to happen. And, and you know, there's a case that, that, that Facebook really is a, a net negative for societal functioning. And, and there's so many ways that you can see that in terms of not just political speech, but privacy and distraction and uh, addiction, um, uh, the, the way that children uh, are behaving. Um, you know, so this dialogue is, is accelerating, it's not diminishing, and it will become a major part of societal discussion uh, in coming years. And Facebook is going to get regulated in one way or another. There's no question. Finally, David, I usually end um, with a, a reading suggestion, but since we have you, I'm going to go beyond reading. Um, you mentioned earlier that there was a minor rebellion, at least, amongst Facebook employees uh, against Z Zuckerberg's unwillingness to in any way control the information on his platform. What about Facebook users? A lot of people listening to this are going to be saying, well, I like Facebook. It keeps me in contact with my kids, with my friends, with my parents, uh, with my networks. I don't approve of much of what they can do, but I can't give it up. What would you say to people listening to this who want to maintain their Facebook accounts, but also want to change the service to make it less corrosive? How can they do that? Well, really, the only thing they can do is speak to their elected representatives and, and demand regulation, because Facebook is not going to be responsive to their behavior inside the service, except to try to target ads to them better. But I do think the public mood is shifting. I mean, just this week, um, the NAACP and the Anti-Defamation League uh, explicitly launched a campaign asking advertisers to stop to not advertise on Facebook for a month in protest of their speech policies. Um, so so there that's a big deal. If, if advertise, you know, that's another thing you could pressure advertisers if you were a citizen who wanted. But it's hard to pressure advertisers not to advertise on Facebook when you yourself continue to use Facebook. And, and this is the, the kind of dilemma that many people find themselves in. They depend on Facebook even as they disapprove of it. And it's part of what just Zuckerberg uses to justify his own behavior. Um, but, you know, advertisers moving away from Facebook would be the kiss of death. But unfortunately, the advertising, the targeted advertising that Facebook makes possible is so effective that the likelihood of that is almost nil. But when you see the NAACP at a time of the rising of the Black Lives Matter movement, Asking advertisers not to advertise on Facebook, that is something that Zuckerberg has to be very worried about. So I'm, I, I applaud that. And there, we're going to see more and more different kinds of pressure. 
as I'm saying, this new book by an ex-employee, Depay and Ghosh. These are big changes, big changes that are happening. And, and they, are, they are facing an increasing storm of public disapproval, and they're going to have to figure out a better way to respond to it. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.